Hey, everybody, it's Ed. Before we get started, I want to give you a quick update on the Bozeman event. In case you haven't heard, we're doing a live podcast in Bozeman, Montana on Friday, August 30th at the Ellen Theater right there in downtown Bozeman. We've got a great lineup of guests. We're going to have Kate Havstad, Jillian Lukuski, Becca Skinner, and Juanita Vero. And a portion of the proceeds from the evening are going to go to support the Montana Land Reliance and the great work they're doing in conservation all over Montana. If you want to learn more about the event, go to mountainandprairie.com slash bozeman. And the tickets are selling pretty quickly and a lot more quickly than I thought, which is awesome. But we've already sold over a third of the tickets and the event is still like four months out. So not trying to be the slimy salesman that I once was, but I would encourage you to grab a few tickets if you want to attend because at this rate, they're selling pretty quick. Anyway, I really appreciate everybody who's already gotten tickets. appreciate everybody who's considering getting some, and I'll look forward to seeing you all in Bozeman in August. Thanks a lot. Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in land conservation or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, adventurers, pretty much anyone who's doing important work, has an interesting story, and loves the American West. My guest today is Logan Maxwell Ajej. If you love the West and you love art, then you're likely already a fan of Logan's. He's a renowned painter whose depictions of people and landscapes of the West have won him acclaim around the globe. His work is as stunning as it is unique, and when you see one of Logan's pieces, there's no doubt in anyone's mind as to exactly who painted it. He uses bold colors and striking composition to create a style that's completely his own, a style that continues to evolve even after all of his success. Logan was born and raised in California, and he's been an obsessive artist for as long as he can remember. Whether drawing, playing music, surfing, or painting, Logan has always gone all in on his creative pursuits. And as you'll hear, Logan's tendency towards obsession is fueled by a tireless work ethic and deep commitment to continue to grow as an artist. He's always pushing himself, and he refuses to rest on his laurels. But that's not to say that Logan doesn't suffer from artistic blocks from time to time. But when he does, rather than wallow, he's developed hard-nosed, time-tested methods of summoning creativity and continuing to push forward. I've been a fan of Logan's for many years, so I was thrilled to get the opportunity to talk with him. We covered a lot, including his childhood creative obsessions and how his parents nurtured his artistic streak. We talk about his art education and how he made the jump from art student to professional artist. Logan describes the evolution of his artwork and how his early paintings are almost unrecognizable when compared to his current style. We talk about how he maintains focus after so many years of professional art, and he describes specific ways that he pushes himself to continue to evolve as an artist. He explains how he knows when a painting is finished and how having a son has changed his routine and outlook. And as usual, we discuss favorite books, films, and the best advice he's ever received. There's a ton of useful information in this episode, so be sure to check out the episode notes for links to everything. Hope you enjoy. When you meet somebody for the first time and they ask you that question, people love to ask, what do you do? How do you answer that question? The answer is, uh, basically, I, I just say I'm an artist, yep. uh, and then I back that up with with, you know, I make paintings. Um, and then they say, what kind of paintings? And I say oil paintings. And then they say, what subject? And, uh, I'll, I'll usually say I, I paint the West, you know, um, landscapes and, and people of the West. So we were just talking about this before we started recording, but it's a hard question, but if you had to describe your art, because it's so unique and that, that's, you know, one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on here is because when you look at Western art, there's, a lot out there and yours just stands out as being so amazingly unique. So, I mean, how, how do you describe it or can you describe it? It's tough for me. I, uh, I, I think of it as, you know, I've gone through se several phases or, um, 
you know, I don't know, incarnations of, of, you know, in my career here and my, my development and my style. Uh, so I, I, I try to, you know, I describe it as there, there's elements of realism and there are elements of abstraction and it's a stylized realism. So I, I generally, generally say it's stylized realism. If I'm talking to somebody that is somewhat versed in, in the art world, because uh, that makes sense. But to, you know, to an average person, I, I pretty much just say, you know, I, I, I make oil paintings of the West and then I'll show them a picture because, you know, I'll pull out my phone and show them a picture because it is really hard to describe. Uh, because you know what, when you hear the word or the term Western art, uh, there's a sort of image that, that might pop up in, into people's minds. And I, I don't know that my work really fits in with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think of myself as a Western artist as much as I fall into that. And I show in a lot of, you know, uh, shows and museums that, that are hosting a lot of Western art. I feel like my work, uh, I, I, just, I, I don't relate to it. I relate to the region um, in a lot of ways, but, but I, I'm not sure that I relate to the term Western art as much. If, I'm not sure if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like your your work is almost a category into itself. Um, because yeah, when I think of Western art, you think of you know cowboys and and just kind of classic. What anybody you know, almost like a movie version of like a Western movie. Whereas yours is is so different than that. So maybe the the best way to kind of understand how you got to where you are is start at the beginning of your your artistic careers i mean have you always been an artistic person ever since you were a little kid has that always been a big part of your life yeah it has i started out i want to say second or third grade uh in my elementary school we used to go to a public library once a week on a field trip Mm -hmm. and while all the other smart kids were reading books (laughs) i would pick up the you know i'd pick up the how to draw books you know like how to draw comic book characters or how to draw cartoon characters that kind of thing and uh I'd sit there and, and what I used to do is I would just trace over the, the drawings, you know, and, and I basically taught myself how to draw that way. Just it's muscle memory and, you know, just, just going through the, the motions over and over. And, um, and that was it. And I started, I, I recently pulled out some drawings out of storage from when I was just a little kid. I was like five years old or something. And I was already starting, but then, you know, late later in, in elementary school doing more and more. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of really where it started for me. So I always was kind of doodling. I got into comic books as a, you know, I don't know what, how old would I have been, maybe like a 11 or 12 years old. I got into comic books and then was just always drawing and doodling. You know, just like every artist is going to tell you the same thing. They were always drawing and doodling as a kid. You know, it, it, it kind of went for it. I lost it for a bit because I, start, I just started playing music and then got really big into music and then started surfing in my later sort of teenage years, got really big into that. And really wasn't until after high school that I started to take art seriously again. So after high school, uh, well, it seems like on this podcast, they're, they're kind of two different groups when I'm talking to artists. One just basically gets going on their own and manages to make a career out of it. And then there's another camp that studies uh, art formally at university and then kind of evolves from there. Which, which camp do you fall in? Or are you somewhere in the middle? Somewhere in the middle. Uh, I, I didn't go to university. I went to a specialized art academy okay. that was based on the old, old French academic model where you, you're basically drawing and painting from live models all day, every day. Oh, wow. Where was that? And it was here in Los Angeles, Southern California. Uh, it was called um, – it was in the San Fernando Valley, actually. It's not even around anymore. It's a school called Associates in Art. Okay. And uh, it, was, it was basically all these professional artists that were, were teaching there. Um, it was almost like a trade school in a way. It was interesting. Um, but I, I happened to fall in right when it was like the golden era of this school where they had this program where they were offering that with drawing and painting for models all day, every day. Um, and that's really where I, I feel like I, I got this really strong foundation and was able to, I felt like I was able to do anything with it from there. You know, it's, uh, it's learning all the basic skills and then I was able to, to run with it. And so, you know, you obviously develop the just this, like you were saying, a foundational skill set. But when you got done with school, did you at that point were you like, I want to be a professional artist? This is all I want to do, or or was it? Did you have to transition into it more slowly than that? How, how was what was the transition like? Um, 
I'll take a step back. So the reason I, or the way I found that school, um, let's see, what was I doing at the time? So I, I went to one year, uh, one semester, I wouldn't even say a year. I went to one semester of a junior college here in Santa Monica. And I just, I'll step back even further. I always hated school. I was miserable every day in school from basically first grade on. Oh, really? I hated it every day of it. Yeah. Um, and so I, and then I go to a junior college and I'm like, what am I doing here? I hate this. And school is obviously not for me. Um, and so I somehow I found a, an internship <clears throat> at an animation studio, um, which I thought was going to be where I was going to go with my career. I thought I was going to go into cartoons and you know, animation. Yep. Uh, so I, I, I was able to get an internship at a studio and they said, hey, why don't you go check out this school? You can brush up on your skill, skills a little bit, improve your drawing skills, and then, you know, that'll just help you along in your animation career. Um, and so when I did do that, I, I went over to that school and started taking more life drawing classes and um, I was exposed to, you know, painting and, um, fine art, the fine art side of everything or, or of the art world. And, uh, that really shifted my thinking all of a sudden I was realizing I didn't really like animation. I didn't like the collaborative, um, nature of, of animation. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm much more of a solitary guy. I like to work on my own, like my own ideas. And so anyhow, so that's, that's where I ended up. That's how I ended up at that school. Um, and then from there, again, just being exposed to fine art and then art galleries and seeing that people actually sell their paintings that they're able, able to make in their studios or out, painting out on location, it opened up a world for me. So I was just really naive and uh, in, in a good way, naive. And I just said, OK, well, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And basically, I was trickling off. I was taking a, little, a few classes here and there. But then I started to show my work, you know, send my work out to galleries send my portfolio out. And then I picked up a, a small gallery here in Southern California, and that was pretty much it. I started showing there and slowly started selling paintings, and uh, and I was I was pretty much off and running from there. That's great. And so you think about those first your your portfolio you mentioned that you were sh- you know showing to these galleries. What was that work like compared to to what you're doing now? Or was it was it completely different? Or was it was it? I mean, obviously it's the the evolution uh, was there, but but how would you describe that work compared to what you do today? Yeah, it's almost unrec—you know—you wouldn't unrecognizable. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, you wouldn't even know it was me. Um, you know, because as a as a student fresh out of art school, I didn't really know myself yet as an artist. I hadn't quite found my voice. I was probably showing in galleries a little too soon, but I, I was just—I was ambitious and I wanted to get going. You know, I felt like I was behind. I, I always remember feeling—I was looking at all these. Uh, historic artists from the past and I was looking at what they were doing when they were t- 20 years old or 20 you know however old I was 19 20 years old at the time and you know I was going god these guys were so good and I'm so far behind you know I always uh, have just felt that way so I, I just wanted to get going um, anyhow so the art was I was just looking at my influences um, at the time I was really into a Spanish painter named Joaquin Soroya mm-hmm. and he painted a lot of figures outdoors or, you know, people outdoors, uh, on the beach. And, uh, there's a, a uh, an artist who's still around today, a uh, great artist named Dan McCaw. He lives here in Southern California. Um, so I feel like I was influenced by Dan McCaw and Soroya and a handful of other artists. And I, and I kind of put that all together. So I was painting, you know, like sort of romantic impressionist paintings of women on the beach and, um, some, you know, some nude sort of women, women, paintings of women. And, uh, you know, that's, that sort of thing. Um, just because that's what I was studying in school. I was drawing and painting you know, naked people all day. <laughs> and, uh, so I was kind of doing these academic studies and anyway, it was, it was, I was kind of all over the place. Um, and it did, it evolved from there. So really it, I started showing that work and then I just, I started not liking my work. I was, I was sick of it. It didn't feel like it was me. And I, I, I think I took about three or four months off from painting. I was just trying to figure myself out and I was drawing a lot in a sketchbook and, um, just trying to, trying to find my voice a little bit. So after that initial phase of, which lasted for a couple of years, you know, painting those impressionist figures, yep. I, uh, I went, I, I really rebelled and went the other way and I started painting similar subjects where I was women on the beach, but they were like almost completely abstract where they were just these real simple shapes. And, um, I was just exploring and trying to, trying to find myself, you know? I'm I'm curious about that because I would think that 
even if you weren't making a living as an artist or, you know, having professional success in artist, making a, a hard turn like that could be challenging. But I would mm-hmm. – correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think that – so you would you would establish yourself in a certain style and people were interested in, in your – you know, I assume making money if they're in galleries. Was there any – Ner- were you nervous at all about, well, what are they going to think about this new way I'm going? Or was it you were so tired of it that you just didn't give a shit at that point? Yeah, I really didn't give a shit. It was, it was, and I still don't to this day. I mean, I feel like that's one thing I've been able to hold on to. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say at the time I, I was selling paintings, but I wasn't making a great living. Yeah. Uh, I never, never had to get a job, but I was able to keep my costs down and I may have even been, I may have still been living with my parents at the time, you know? Sure. Um, so I was able to live off of not much, but, um, so that wasn't really a thought. I, I just wasn't happy with the work and I always wanted to strive to be a great artist. I'm still trying to get there, you know? So I felt that I needed to find my voice. That, that was really the most important thing that for a time I was obsessed with trying to be the most academic painting, these really realistic paintings and, just getting better and better and better. But I, around that time I realized that, you know, when I really looked at, at art history and the great artists out there that I admired, they weren't artists that weren't necessarily the, they weren't necessarily technically the best, Mm -hmm. but they had a very clear vision and a clear voice and they were unique in their own way. So that's really what became important to me. I wanted to find, or just let, it's not about finding, but it's letting your, your voice, my own voice out. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's what I was after. I was, I was trying to just get my voice out there. Back to the, the, you know, not caring about what other people think. I mean, had that always been a part of your personality, just, just pretty independent? And if so, what do you attribute that to other than just genetics? I mean, did your parents encourage that kind of thing or were you, were you kind of a rebel as a, as a young guy? Where, where did that because, you know, that's that goes against human nature in some ways. You know, we we've, I think we're programmed to to want to fit in to the tribe or to the group. And so I'm always I'm always very impressed when people at a young age are able to just say, screw it, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, where did that come from? That's hard to say. I mean, I think my, my parents for sure were supportive of anything I wanted to do. I mean, I, I remember, you know, my when I when I started getting into music my parents just went out and they bought, bought me a, a drum kit and then I wanted to play the guitar. They went out and got me a guitar, got me guitar lessons and I wanted to play the bass. They went out and got me a bass and it was just like, they're super supportive of whatever my interests were. Yep. Um, you know, when I started getting into surfing, they were supportive of that. I wanted to start making surfboards. So my dad helped me get going with that. And so anyway, they, they were super supportive of all, of all that stuff. Um, I know my dad was the type of guy that didn't really give a shit. Um, so yeah, maybe some of that got passed down. I, but I, yeah, I, I've always been that way. Even when I was a kid, I wasn't trying to, to really fit into anything, uh, any, any particular group. I, uh, you know, in, in, in school I had friends, wasn't a, a click situation. I, I was just kind of friends with whoever I wanted to be friends with. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I've just always kind of been that way. Yeah. That. You know, it, it's interesting because I, I feel like you see a lot of super successful people because, I, you know, obviously on this podcast, I talk to people and then I read a lot of biographies and that having that um, support of your parents, it seems like it can go one of two ways. Like people that, that have that, they, they either turn out to be really you know badasses because they, they don't they're not worried about what other people think because they know they have this unconditional love or they can turn out to be spoiled brats. And I think the the X factor in there is the work ethic and the drive. And if you couple the drive with the support, it's a pretty unstoppable combo. And I can't, you know, just a minute ago, you were talking about this. You would see these art, these master artists and how much they had accomplished. And it sounds like you've just, you're very driven and you always have been. Does that come from your parents as well? Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I think it just comes from wanting to, wanting to understand whatever subject or topic, you know, whatever it is that I'm into at the time. Mm -hmm. I want to be, I want to get better at it. You know, there's, I don't want to just learn, play a couple chords on the guitar. I want to really understand it and, and, uh, you know, improve and get better and better. So I don't, I don't even know where the work ethic comes from because that wasn't apparent in when it came to certain things, but it like school. Yeah. Um, but when it came to something I was passionate about, I would just jump in all, all, all the way in. I would just dive in, you know, 
it was everything became it became all encompassing when I was into each different thing. It was it was everything. It was the world to me. So fast forward to to where you are now, and you've obviously experienced a, a lot of success, and you've got. You know, your art, uh, it, it strikes a chord with, with a lot of people, everybody from you know, people like me to, to you know, high, high, high-end collectors. So how do you keep that fire going to want to continue to improve? I mean, are there, are there any techniques you use or, or specific things if you start feeling kind of in a funk or feeling unsatisfied with what you're doing? I mean, how do you, how do you stoke that fire now? Yeah, I think that uh... – if I am feeling that way, if I'm feeling like I'm sick of what I'm working on or not feeling excited about what I do, uh, there's two things I'll do. One, number one, if I'm in the studio, the next painting that I'm going to start or that I'm gone will be almost the polar opposite of the painting that that's driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. So if I'm working on a painting that's real complex and might be a little bit more on the realistic side, my next painting is going to be real simple and more stylized or more abstract just to shake up my, my, my brain a little bit and, and get me thinking a different way. And then, uh, uh another way is just going outside and, and painting outdoors, maybe going on a trip up to the desert to go paint. Um, or, or even just here, you know, where I live, just getting outside helps a lot of times. So when did the, when did the West specific, you know, the Southwest and kind of your current, your current focus, when did that become the, the kind of the, such a dominant part of your artistic life? That was, what was that? I want to say around 2004, uh, I took a trip out to the desert with a group of artists, and we went to Canyon de Chez uh-huh. in, uh, in Arizona. Yeah. I mean, there were a bunch of artists, like 18 or 20 artists. We, we all went on a trip there. We all camped in the canyon and, and painted. And I drove out with a good friend of mine named Glenn Dean. And, uh, and so I think that, that trip started it for me. It really sparked something. And I, I, I was exposed to a lot of things um, and a subject that really uh, appealed to my aesthetic. You know, there were these big shapes that I could simplify and break down to basic elements. And all of a sudden it just like, it, like a bell went off in my head. I was like, oh, okay, this, this, this feels right to me, you know? And, uh, and anybody that, I mean, for anybody that's been through the West, I mean, I, I just, I feel like it's just such an inspiring and exciting place. So that, you know, those, those two things, just that, that feeling of inspiration and exploration, um, coupled with the, uh, possibilities in the, in the subject itself, you know, it just, and, you know, it appealing to my aesthetic, it all, it all kind of clicked for me on that trip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That, that makes sense. It is. I mean, I, I clearly remember the first time, the first time I ever went out West was to the Grand Canyon. And I mean, yeah, for somebody brand new to it, I mean, obviously you grew up in, in California, but it, it is just, it is so awe-inspiring. I couldn't imagine seeing it th- from an artistic standpoint. Um, kind of back to your your process of creating this art, how do you, do you have a specific routine you follow on a daily basis? Because on this on this podcast, it seemed, again, when I'm speaking with artists, they're, they're kind of two ends of the spectrum, people that paint when they feel inspired, and then people that act like they're working at a factory and they check in every morning and get to work. And where, where are you on that spectrum? Uh, well, I guess that depends on, well, let's see. So before having a kid <laughs> is a different, you know, give me the before and after post having a kid. Yeah. So the before was definitely when I was at the, studio, you know, by say 10 o'clock, I'd work all day. Um, almost like a, a factory work. I'd clock in and, um, take my lunch around the same time paint, 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 do whatever I need to do. And then I was, you know, take off by six o'clock or something. Um, and then always working at night as well, whether that's just drawing in my sketchbook or maybe painting watercolors or something at night. It's just, I can't kind of can't turn it off. Um, so now having a kid, uh, I, I really love being around my son and, and my wife. So I, I, you know, I, I kind of work my schedule around them and, and, you know, his nap schedule and, and that sort of thing. So, um, I usually hang out with them in the morning, get over to my studio for a few hours, come back home for the afternoon into evening. And then once he goes back, uh, once he goes to bed at night, I'll go back and, and paint from either my home studio or, or drive over to my, my, uh, my studio and work for a few hours at night. So really I'm working the same amount of hours. Um, I'm just working it around everybody else's schedule. So I get to spend time with the family. Yeah. We were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, but the, the kid thing, we've got kids about the, 
our oldest are about the same age and not even from an artistic standpoint, but just generally your perspective on things. How did, how did having a kid change your, your outlook? Cause it was, it's, you know, you hear all these damn cliches about having kids and they, when you're not in it, they sound silly, but then when you're in mm-hmm. it, you're like, Oh, they're cliches for a reason. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, how did that, how did it affect, affect you overall, either professionally or personally? Uh, well, personally, I mean, it just puts everything in, into perspective and shows that all my bullshit is just stupid. <laughs> you know, when it comes down to it, you know, yes. me worrying about a, a painting and, uh, you know, uh, just whether a painting is going well or not. I mean, it's, it's still the same struggle, but I, I feel like chambers have opened in my life for the lows and the highs because of having a kid. So the lows are lower and the highs are, are higher. Mm-hmm. And so, now the low of a, of a painting not going well, it, it doesn't feel as low as some of the lows I've experienced, you know, now having a kid and, and a painting that goes really well doesn't feel as exciting as, <laughs> you know, when my son's just laughing and it's the best feeling ever, you know? Um, so that, that's, that's the biggest thing for me. I, I think just putting it all in just perspective and it's, it's been real healthy for me, you know? It really is. I mean, I had the same experience. It, it just, it puts, it's such a filter for, for BS. <laughs> you know, you can use the, the stuff that used to get me so fired up. It's you look back on it and you're like, why did that make me so upset? Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Um, you mentioned your studio. Can you describe, can you describe your studio and, and how, how important is that space for your creative process? Yeah. So my studio is um, a little, little over 2000 square feet. And uh, just pretty much an industrial space. Um, it's uh, got, I want to say, like 18-foot ceilings. And um, like I said, just one one big open kind of warehouse space. Mm-hmm. And it's got all my crap in there. It's got, you know, paintings that I've made along the way in, in my development um, in storage there. And it's got, that's where I keep all my frames, where I do all my framing, uh, all my art supplies, I've got a few easels there that I work on because I tend to work on several paintings at once. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is important to, to me to have a space that I feel like I can, um, just kind of focus and, and, and play around. You know, I like to think of my a studio space as a place where I could play around and explore. Um, but also, you know, get down to, get down to work when I need to. So get down to business, you know, um, and then uh, the home studio is just my garage. I've, I've uh, got it set up so that I can work at night if I want to work on like a smaller piece or something like that. Um, I'll, I'll work from home as well. And similar kind of setup. It's just got my stuff in it. You know, n- not as much, obviously, as the big studio, but just all, all that I need here. And so when you're, you're thinking about your current work, when you're, you're painting these pieces, are they are they based on photographs or just your memory or you know obviously you said you go you paint outside some but where do you where does the the inspiration come for for these these works you know a lot of times i'll start out as just little sketches in a, in a sketchbook okay um I'll, I'll just do a little rough shapes and um try to put compositions together um and then from there they it's it's everything it's memory it's photographs it's you know, uh, studies done, done on location. And then I, I bring all that back into the studio and then I put these things together. So I, I try to think of the paintings as being, you know, I, I want them to, to feel as vivid as a memory, um, instead of just re- recreating a photograph or something that I, sure. that I saw, you know, I want it to, to, to feel like something rather than look like something. Uh, so I, I think, memory is a big part of it. A lot of times the landscapes and, and the clouds and all that are just made up out of my head. Um, the generally the figures are, I'll rely a little bit more on photographs, but I don't look at the photos the whole time that I'm painting them. Cause I, I like to, you know, I like to, um, uh, just let a lot of simplification happen as I'm working. So <clears throat> if I don't have a photo in front of me, you know, I'll, I'll usually simplify things and, um, you know, it'll, uh, it'll just make things feel a little bit, like I said, more like a memory. It's how I remember something. I don't remember all the little details. I, just, I remember the big shapes and the big colors. And that's, that's what I want the paintings to feel like. How, this is kind of a weird question, but how do you know when you're finished? Like, how do you know when a painting's done? Cause I would think 
like in, in any artistic endeavor, whether it's writing or painting or music, you can always tweak, 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 tweak. So when, when do you, how do you know, all right, this one's done on to the next one? Well, there's two things. Number one really is if I look at a painting and nothing about the painting bothers me, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's usually something that sticks out and I might not even notice that right away. So when I, when I finish a painting or think I've finished a painting, I'll set it in my studio for as long as I can. And, um, you know, before I need to send it out, I'll set it there and just look at it every day as I'm working on other things, I'll look at it over and over. And all of a sudden uh, I might not know what's bothering me about a painting until I stare at it for a long time. I go, okay, that's it. There's some stupid little shape in a sagebrush or something in the sky. <laughs> and it's enough that nobody else would probably notice, but it, it'd be something that would drive me crazy forever. <laughs> you know? So, um, I'm, I'm thankful, you know, when I know, you know, I don't always notice it at lots, you know, a lot of times I'll send a painting out and, and there'd be a little thing that will drive me crazy, but again, nobody else would really notice. Um, so that's not so fun when that happens, but, um, and you know, another reality is the deadline will tell me when something's finished, yeah. you know, <laughs> and sometimes that's a good thing. You know, I, 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 I'd imagine there has, there have been times in the past when I keep working on something and, uh, and I'll mess, mess it up by working on it, overworking it. And then, you know, it, where, where if I maybe stopped, you know, two or three steps ago it would have been better or left it as it was, it would have been better. So, you know, deadlines are a really helpful thing for me because, you can just work on something forever, really. Um, so I, I actually appreciate deadlines. Yeah, definitely. I'm the same way. I mean, not that I'm an artist, but if I like get my wife to impose deadlines on me for certain things, cause otherwise it just, things just won't get done. Um, mm-hmm. when, uh, so obviously you studied the, you know, classic artists, but do you, do you look at contemporary artists, you know, maybe that are in, in your same world, do you look at their work or are you, cause I've talked to some artists who don't want to look at any, anybody else's work for, they don't want to, you know, don't want somebody else's ideas to kind of seep into their brain. And then maybe they use that or, you know, copy it by accident or just have, mm-hmm. have these other artistic images in their brain. They want it to be, be sure that it's coming from them. Do you, are you like that or, or are you open to, to looking at, you know, your contemporaries work and, and learning from that as well? You know, I think lately I, I haven't really been looking at contemporary artists work as much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like on social media, I, I don't follow any other artists, not, not because I don't love them as people and, and also think really, you know, highly of their work. But, um, it's really that reason I want to just have, uh, you know, I don't want things to influence me. Sometimes I'll look at another artist and I'll go. You know, I'll say, man, I should, what am I doing? I need to paint more simply. You know, I need to simplify things and just be more abstract or something. And then I'll look at somebody else that paint, maybe paints more realistically. And I'll go, that's cool. Maybe I should add some more detail into my painting or, you know, and then I, I start, my, my brain just starts going places that I don't want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that even applies to historic artists. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I start to just, you know, when I go to a museum and look at these great artists. I, I feel so bad about myself when I leave the museum, you know, because I start comparing my work to theirs and I just, you know, I question everything. Like, what am I doing? You know? So I, I have this great art book collection at my studio and I, I almost never look at them anymore because I just want to, I want my, 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 my mind and my vision to just be clear and follow the direction that feels you know, feels right to me. I just follow my instincts from one, one painting to the next. And, um, a lot of times I don't know where I'm going. It just, it just happens. Even when I'm working on a painting and I finish it, I'll look at a painting and I, I just go, how, how did I even do that? And when I, and I say that not in a way like, wow, I'm, I'm great. How did I do that? I mean, yeah. like, literally, how did I do that? I don't remember even working on the painting. I, it just, they just come out of me, you know? Um, so I like to just keep that that stream clear, you know, just or that whatever I'm trying to say, that channel clear, so I could just work and, and follow my instincts and um, let my my voice come out clearly instead of having it through filters of um, you know other artists. Of course, that, that's going to happen no matter what because I've looked at so much art. Yes. So artists are going to influence me. I can't can't help that, but um, I just try as much to let um, a clear voice come through without you know. With it. earlier in my in my career, I would say I wonder how. Maynard Dixon or George, George O'Keefe would have handled this. And I might open one of their books and I go, okay, that's it. 
and you know they so, sort of like a cheat or a something they answer the question for me and then i might take a little bit of from their work and which is okay i think but yeah. lately i've been trying to avoid that as much as as much as i can what this is a, a very this is on the minutiae but i am curious when you're painting do you listen to music or do you listen to audiobooks or podcasts i mean what what is the what is the scene like when you're painting as far as stuff that you're information that you're letting into your head as you're painting it's all over the place really it's podcasts it's um you know talk radio it's music okay it's books books on tape um a lot of times it's all those things within a half hour i might be listening to a podcast and someone will mention a musician and and that'll pop into my head and i can't get a song out of my head so i have to go (laughs) put that song on and i get that out of my system go back to that podcast or, or book on tape whatever it is so it's it's everything. Just my mood dictates, you know. And it's all kinds of music and all kinds of talk radio and podcasts. It's just everything. Okay, everything. Got it. Um, yeah. So when you're thinking about, you know, prof- being a professional artist, I mean, obviously the talent is mandatory, and and there are a lot of talented people and a lot of creative people. Uh, but so then there's this, the kind of this next step of figuring out the business side of things and how to, you know, the marketing side of things and figuring, you know, how do you kind of get your talents out to the world? And you, you know, you obviously figured it out early, but what, what do you think, do you have any advice? Like if somebody were coming along and trying to figure out this balance between the, the, the marketing side almost, or the, the, the promotion side and the work, what is your, do you have a, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're both important if you're trying to make a living as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but the development as an artist really is key. That's above everything for me. Um, that, that's my advice to up and coming artists. Their, their marketing and all that, I guess helps, but yeah, you know, if you haven't put in the, the work and haven't developed yourself <clears throat> as an artist, then you're just marketing something that you know, doesn't deserve to be marketed in a sense. You know, I'm not not trying to put anybody down, but no, no, I know what you mean. I'll, I'll apply that. I'll apply that to myself. If I had started uh, really trying to get myself out there, and I'm networking, and I get you know, social media wasn't really happening as much when I was getting started. But you know, I'm I'm kind of thankful that Instagram wasn't around when I started because there would have been a lot of junk out there. Sure. Um, so I think developing yourself as an artist is is key, uh, but. I did do some of that networking and, and stuff. I've, I pulled back quite a bit just cause, um, you know, I just want to work and I've kind of gotten sick of, of, of that side of things. And I feel like for me personally, the, the business of art can be really distracting mm-hmm. and, um, it's just un, unimportant in a lot of ways. It's, it's important to make, a, you know, uh, it's great for me to be able to make a living as an artist, but there's just so much noise out there when it comes to the value of art and, and, you know, auctions of, of art and, um, just the, the whole thing. I mean, I, 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 I recall just saying, man, I wish I could get into some magazine, an art magazine when I was getting started and then you do and it happens and, and then nothing really happens. You think the world's going to split open and, and just your life is going to change. And a couple might, a couple people might say they saw your article or something in a magazine and that's it. So it's, it's like, it's a cumulative um, process. It's all these things building up together over years and rushing it isn't going to help. I think just developing is, is the most important thing. So when you think about you know, your, your career as an artist, are there any mentors or heroes you've had? And I'm not, not just talking about from an artistic standpoint, but just, you know, it sounds like, you know, you've, you're obviously very driven. You're, you're focused on the process. It seems like you're very good at cutting out all the distraction BS that, that could infiltrate your mind. Are there any people that you've learned that from or, or people that, and again, they don't have to be artists, but just mentors, heroes, people you may know, may just know of that come to mind. Let's see. It's tough. I mean, I feel like I've really looked at, um, artists, uh, mostly historic, Mm -hmm. um, for guidance, you know, they, they've just kind of helped me and it's not so much, on how to, how to be an artist, but, or, or I should say the, the business side of art, but, um, you know, their devotion to art, the way they've devoted their lives to it. Um, that's been really inspiring to me. So I always think about that, you know, it's, it's, 
it's not it's not a job for most artists it's it's just part of your life it's a way of life yeah uh, and i see that time after time when i look at great artists of the past um and uh and i you know i'm, I'm really inspired by artists again that that find their voice and are able to um just be unique in in the world because there's so so many people out there there's so many artists out there you know it's amazing to think of somebody like let's let's go with you know the the big famous artists that everybody knows like an artist like van gogh for instance it's just amazing that what he did at the time was so far out and um you know and you could apply that to other artists like monet or whoever you know there's just there's hundreds and thousands of them but you know it's uh, i think that's just such a cool thing to be able to put out into the world your own vision of the world you know so um and when, when it comes to people outside of the art world, I don't know, know them, but you know, someone like Bob Dylan is a great example for me. Yeah. Of, that makes um, sense. You know, someone who's followed his own voice and God, he's been everywhere with, with his music and hasn't been pinned down by any, any style or, or his success that he's had, you know, he's just been, been real exploratory, which is, I, I think is really inspiring. Are there any like books on creativity that have meant anything to you or, or that you recommend to people or even, you know, books on the artistic process, anything like that that comes to mind, or is it? Do you not go down those those rabbit holes? Uh, I, I have in the past. So there's a book called The Art Spirit. Oh, cool! I've never uh, heard of by that. Robert Henry. Uh huh. Yeah, by Robert Henry. Uh, it's H E N R I. And then, um, uh, the name the the name of the book just flew out of my head. Uh, Charles Hawthorne. I'm sitting in front of a computer. Maybe I'll look it up. I'm blanking on the name of this this book. It was a big one for me. Um, but talking about that's more the process of, of art, uh-huh. um, um, that the Hawthorne book, um, I want to say it's called notes on color or something like that. Uh, let me see if I could pull it up here. Oh, it's, uh, Hawthorne on painting. There you go. Hawthorne on um, painting. Okay. Yeah. And there, it's like a $4 book you can get anywhere online, you know, but, oh, cool. um, yeah. And that's so, so that's a little bit more, um, I, I feel like the art spirit can be applied you know, to, to anybody, anybody could be interested in that. But, um, Hawthorne on painting is a little bit more specific to, to painting, but both uh, interesting books and, and helpful. Those are great, and neither one, nobody's ever mentioned either of those that I remember. So those, those are, that's perfect, awesome. Um, okay. So you know, obviously, art is you know, art and family are the the main pillars, from what it sounds like. But what I mean, what else do you do for fun? Do you still surf? No, I, I don't. I mean, I, I every every day I think I want to get back into it. Um, I, the last time I surfed, I mean, it was like starting over from scratch. It was, it was <laughs> it's horrible. so hard. To, yeah, it's really hard. It's it's not like riding a bike at all. I was like, I lost knowledge of the waves and, you know, like how to catch a wave, basic stuff like that. And obviously the physicality of it, I lost that, you know, it's just so difficult. Uh, it's so hard on your body. Um, I'm like the guy that I used to make fun of when I was a surfer. You know, surfers, <laughs> I used to be this jerk surfer kid and i was like you know i've become the guy that i used to make fun of the guy that surfs on weekends or something i, I don't even do that you know so stupid but um so I, i'd like to get back into that i, I sooner or later will um just because that was a real um it clears my mind it's talk about being present you know it's oh, yeah. a really great thing um but yeah so i don't surf anymore i, I uh i've taken up uh pottery like throwing pottery on a wheel oh really uh, yeah, in the last couple of years, just just for myself, really, um, uh-huh. and that's another thing. Really makes makes me feel really present and in the moment. Um, but um, yeah, activity wise, man, I'm pretty boring. I just I just kind of paint, hang out with my family, and that's pretty on a hike and mountain bike and stuff like that. But you know, that's not that's not too out of out of this. You know, people are. I don't think that's boring. Expect that from, from an, well, no, it's definitely not boring. But. <laughs> I don't think it's, it's not a far out thing for people to expect from an artist that spends a lot of time outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know? I'm, surfing is probably my favorite thing in the world. And it's weird because I, I live out here in, in Colorado, but it's, um, it is such a, the thing about you said about being in the moment, I feel like surfing is, is the easiest way to, it's not easy, but if you, if you can figure out how to surf and learn how to surf, that is one, a surefire way to really experience life on a moment by moment basis. It's, it's so amazing. It's so amazing. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like these surfer dude, you know, Oh dude, it's so, so cool. But 
it, again, it's those cliches that are true. That they're true for that people say them for a reason. Absolutely. I mean, there's like you know when you're when you're actually riding a wave, mm-hmm. you're not even. It's like you're almost not even present. You're just not even. Time and space doesn't exist because you are so into the split second of every moment, and it, it's it's pretty unreal. But also, even just sitting on your board waiting for a wave, and you're just out on the ocean, and like you said, the cliche of it all—it's it's like you know, it's there for a reason. It really it is for a reason. It's it's magical. I need to. Um, I've only been to California twice, which is ridiculous, and uh, but I went out there last last year and I surfed in Northern California, and man, it's so fun. But again, I lost it. I mean, I the, the muscles you need, the balance—it it, just—you got to do it. It's like. I don't play golf, but I, I, it's like what I hear about golf and that you just, you got to do it a lot to be good at it. Yeah. It, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to, I used to surf every day when I was a teenager and into my early twenties and it, uh, yeah, it got to the point where I, I was never you know great at it, but it got to the point where it was just like instinct. I didn't have to think about it. I was able to go out and catch waves all day. I'd surf for six hours, you know, and, uh, man, I'd be lucky to catch a wave, you know, you know, a whole, whole session nowadays. I just, it's uh, it's kind of depressing, actually, how much I've lost it. But <laughs> well, if you ever come out to Southern California, we can go out and splash around in the water together and two old men. Catch a wave, you know? Yeah, <laughs> we'll have each other's back when they try to beat us up. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. Well, so let's. Uh, I've got some questions that I love to run by everybody I have on the podcast. I'd love to run through those with you real quick, if 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 you have the time, and just get your thoughts on those. Sure. Um, so when you think about, we talked a little bit about books create from a cre- creative standpoint. Um, are there any books about the West that have that are your favorite books about the West, or maybe that have influenced your artistic process around the West? I, I guess the, the, the like going back to the cliche thing. Um, I'm, I'm sure this book's been mentioned a thousand times, but Desert Solitaire, yep, is a big is a big one for me. Um, I mean, to be honest, I I, I spend a lot of time. Um, listening to books more than actually reading them just because the nature of, of what I do sure. and uh, the way I manage my time, I, I'd rather generally rather be sketching in a book than reading one. But, um, so Des- desert solitaire is a big one for me. Um, and then, you know, I, I read tons of art books on, on artists themselves, you know? Um, but, um, you know, outside of the West, um, basically any, anything by David McCullough is, Oh yeah. He's is, awesome. is good for me. He could like write down, a menu and I would read it, you know, <laughs> he's so good. It's, it's, yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, there's another book actually related artists. I'm just thinking of this. There's another book. Um, it's called, uh, it's called daily rituals, how artists work. I've heard of that. Uh, yeah. So it's by a guy named, I believe it's a man, but by Mason Curry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I just love that. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know why, but I love reading about artists rituals. So it's, it's, it's writers, uh, painters, all, all sorts of artists, musicians. Um, and it just covers their real specific daily rituals and their, um, their routine throughout the day. We mentioned the, the timing, you know, of, of how your, your artistic process plays out on a daily basis, but do you have any like kind of unexpected or funny or, or weird rituals you do on a, on a daily basis, but you know, to get things going? Uh, not really. I mean, I feel like my, my, my drive to my studio, I've got about a 15 minute drive to my studio. Uh, I feel like that kind of centers me in a way, gets, gets me ready, um, for working. And that sounds crazy because I'm driving in Southern California. Um, and there's nothing relaxing about that, but, um, yeah, the, that is the drive to my studio is actually really nice. I, I drive out through rolling Hills. And, um, so I think that kind of gets me in the right headspace to, to get to work. But, um, beyond that, there's nothing too crazy. I just get into my studio and, and I, I get to work. Get to work. Um, yeah, there's, there's a quote, I don't know if this has been mentioned on your show before, but there's a, a pretty famous quote by the artist Chuck Close. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's something like, I should have thought about this before I'm going to spew it off here, but it's something like, um, uh, inspiration is for amateurs, real artists just get, get to work or something like that. I'm not saying it wrong. No, no, I know. I know that quote. And that's, I love that quote. I think that's so important. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And that's, I, I feel that way. Like, and again, not, not to say that there's anything wrong with waiting to be inspired until you need to work. But for me, I, I work through 
things to find inspiration, even if I'm not, I, I get there by working through something. So uh, I, I really, that, that quote really works for me. And so that's, that's the way I think it, when I'm at my studio, I just kind of, you know, to get going, I just get, get going. There's some famous, I can't remember who it is, but the quote to begin, begin, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's just what, what you got to do. So I just get to my student, I, I get to work, whatever that means, whether that's stretching a canvas, framing a painting, or uh, just jumping right in and, and getting to work. I think that's such valuable advice because I think nowadays it, it there is this kind of trend of, you know, like the Tim Ferriss life hack kind of thing and these shortcuts to do this. and all, you know, But I think the key, I mean, I found it whenever I try to write anything, it's just so damn hard for me. And you just got to sit down and get your ass kicked a little bit and do it. There's just mm-hmm. no other way. I, I haven't found it a better way to do it. Um, yeah, I find myself stressing over the work more than the, is even necessary. You know, I mean, go, man, this part of the painting is just going to kick my ass, and I and I'll, I'll avoid it for weeks, and and then there's no more time left, and I've got to get to it, and then all of a sudden it's like boom, 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 and it was done, and, I, and I've been stressing over it for all that time for no reason, you know. So just getting to it is usually the best thing to do for me. We've got very similar personalities. All this stuff you're saying, I completely <laughs> identify with. It's kind of weird. What is your favorite? Do you have a favorite book of all time? If you had to pick just one, man, that's um, tough. That is tough. I don't. I don't even think I could. I mean, okay, that's just, fair enough. Yeah, lately, man, I don't even want to know if I, I don't think I could say. I mean, the going back to McCullough, the his book on the Wright brothers. I loved that book. Oh, is it good? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just like from an artist's perspective. Um, and then actually, Steve Martin's book I really liked a lot, um, Born Standing Up. I love that one. I thought that was yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that felt, I, I really uh, related to a lot of what he was saying. Yeah, that's a great. I read that maybe four, three or four years ago. I thought it was so good. Um, and you don't have to, I don't, you don't have to be, I mean, you have to be interested in the artistic process, but not comedy to, to get that. I mean, I thought it was very, very well done. I don't know if you, if you have time for this, but do you, if you watch films or documentaries, do you have any favorites? Yeah. You know, there's a recent one, um, American master, you know, PBS American masters did one on Andrew Wyeth. Oh, cool. Yeah. That I just loved. I, watched it i don't know like two or three times in a row almost or oh, really? a few days yeah he's he's a big artist for me i love his work um and then uh actually another documentary on him named uh, it's called snow hill mm-hmm. it was done by an artist named bo bartlett yeah uh he did that one on andrew wyeth as well um but i it's funny i've actually gotten a few months ago i was really into finding documentaries on artists for whatever reason i just i was watching them as i was painting you know semi watching them as i was painting um so there's a whole bunch that i i got into i don't know if you want a list of them but um they're probably pretty inside you know like you probably need to be an artist to appreciate them but what's one or two of them that came to mind so there's one called herb and dorothy which I think is interesting to people, even if you're not an artist, it's about this couple that were collectors of, um, you know, pretty avant-garde contemporary art. And they had a really, um, relatively low budget that they were working with, but they were able to buy art and they built this amazing collection and they lived in this little apartment and their every square inch of their apartment apartment was covered with art. And then they ended up uh, I'm not going to say what they ended up doing with the collection because I don't want to be a spoiler here. Yeah. But anyway, they just did a cool nowadays, you know, but um, they did a cool thing with their collection um, when it was all said and done. And oh, nice. uh, I, I just, I dream of collectors like that that are in it, you know, collecting my work because they love it rather than trying to, you know, make some money off of it one day. Yeah. <laughs> like a, a, a alternative to a mutual fund. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But I mean, to, to each their own, that's fine too, I guess. But yeah, um, sure. So I like that one. There's another one called The Cool School. Um, it's the story of the Ferris Art Gallery in, in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that one might be pretty interesting, I think, to people, even if you're, you're not. It's it's some, somewhat historic. Uh, there's some historic interest in uh, in that one as well, so it's not so inside. But yeah, those those couple are pretty cool. Those are great. Obviously, those have never been mentioned. Those are, I'll put links to those. Um, <laughs> so thinking about all, all the time you've spent on the ocean, um, you know, exploring around, you know, hiking, mountain biking, spending time in the Southwest. Did, when you think about the most powerful experience you ever had in the outdoors, and that could be scary, funny, just a memorable, really cool experience. Do, is there any experience that comes to mind? Um, 
I might have, you know, like, um, let's see, God, there's so there's a lot of, I, I, nothing really scary. I don't think the scariest things would probably happen when I was surfing, just surfing waves that were too big that I shouldn't have been doing. But, um, there's a fun one recently. I, I, I have a little, I call it like my little painting cabin out, out in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was out there with some artist friends recently and we were going to, so it's in the Vermilion Cliffs, uh, area of, of Arizona. Yep. And just up the street from my place, there's this really cool hike where you could hike up to the Vermilion Cliffs and we were going to go out for like an hour or something like that. And so we brought just little, you know, little bottles of water, whatever they are, eight ounce or, or whatever those little bottles are. Sure. And we didn't bring any food or anything. We just started hiking. And then, you know how, once you get going, you want to see what's around the next corner and then you want to see what's around the next corner. So when it was all said and done, we, had, we did a six hour hike up to the base of the Vermilion Cliffs uh, and back. And we were just like, man, we, it was like a movie when you see someone crawling, you know, on the, in the Sahara, just like looking for water <laughs> by the end of the hike, we were just kind of dumb and didn't, didn't plan well on that one. But, but it was just such a cool experience. I mean, we saw so many different types of landscape on that, on that hike and just wild colors, like minerals and the dirt and just so many varieties of, of landscape and, and weather on that hike and some wildlife and stuff like that. So it was really memorable for me. Yeah. The desert for people who haven't spent time in the desert, it's, it's hard to explain. Cause I, I've been to some pretty extreme environments, you know, like on mountains and high altitude and all that kind of stuff. But I remember one time I was in Canyonlands and I was out running by myself. And I remember thinking like, if I break my leg, like right now, like I'm dead. No, mm-hmm. and no way around it. Whereas, and I don't think I'd ever really had that feeling before, um, but just the extreme of the heat and no water and nowhere to hide from that sun, it is a it is a unforgiving landscape. That's I just I don't think I ever fully appreciated it until I really appreciated it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's no, scary. It's, it is. We had two experiences there. We're like, so I was out there with Jeremy Lipking. Glenn Dean and Josh Elliott, who's another artist friend from Montana. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Glenn kind of started going off on his own. We were all kind of going the same direction, but taking different routes and stuff. And Glenn didn't want to climb up this really steep hill because he's a smart one. And um, <laughs> so he was kind of following this creek that was meandering up up this uh, you know, on this hike. And then all of a sudden, we, you know, Josh, Jeremy, and I realized where's Glenn? You know, we couldn't find him. We we're, we we're yelling his name. He wasn't hearing us and we didn't have any cell service. So, and then we we're going, he's okay. Right. We we're all looking at each other. Yeah. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. And then, then we kept trying to call him and he's fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be fine. And, you know, obviously he ended up being okay, but we were just freaking out about that for that reason. Like, man, where he could be anywhere and anything could happen to him. And, um, and then on the way down, Josh Elliott was running through that same Creek. It was like a, a basically a Sandy bottom. He's running through it, just being silly. And all of a sudden he drops down to his, all the way up to his hip in quicksand. Oh man. Uh, one of his legs just sunk all the way in and he just fell forward and like, it just could have been bad. He could have broken something or it was just scary. Like, what are we going to do? Carry him for like a four hour hike, you know, <laughs> from that point on, it probably would have been a three, four hour hike. Oh yeah. So damn. Yeah. I don't know, man. So yeah, I, I get that. You know, there's, there's times, but that's why we usually like to we have a buddy system where we like to, when we go out to the desert, we like to be with someone else because, you know, there's some extreme stuff out there. There definitely is. Um, this is a tough one, but when you think about advice you've received over your life, artistic or otherwise, um, does anything stick out as the best piece of advice you've ever received? Yeah, that is tough. Um, I guess I'll, I'll relate it to the art because I think that's easiest for me to think of. Sure. Um, a couple things. Though. I mean, so one, uh, an artist friend named Scott Burdick, who... I studied with when I was um, in my development stages. I mean, I'm still developing, but you know, early on in my career, uh, he, he said something to the effect of, "If you're passionate about what it is that you're painting, you're always going to find an audience for your for your work." Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a big one for me because it, you know, a lot of what he painted is portraits of people, you know, and that's not really a subject that people think of as something you can live off of and that people are going to necessarily buy. But, you know, he's been able to live off that kind of thing and, and other artists have as well. And so just that, I think that gave me a sense of freedom in my head where I said, well, I could just do whatever I want. And as long as I'm 
as long as I feel good about it and I'm passionate about it, then I don't have to really worry about it beyond, beyond there. And a lot of this thinking of, of selling a painting or making a living off of the painting, it's not the, the first thing I'm thinking of, but there's something, uh, there's something freeing about that where I can trick myself into saying, okay, well, I'll be able to sell this. Then I can just, I don't have to worry about wasting my time or, or, uh, you know, just worry about making a living. I'll just do it. And someone will, someone will buy it. And that's just tricking myself into freeing myself to paint whatever I feel like painting, you know? Yep. Um, not sure if that makes, makes any sense, but no, that makes perfect um, sense. And then, it, so in, in that vein, um, my brother actually, you know, if you build it, they will come. He sort of took that quote and, and changed it to, if you paint it, if you paint it, it will sell. Or if you paint them, they will sell whatever you said. Um, which I was tra- I was struggling at the time with doing really large paintings because I had been wanting to do them, but I, you know, I think I was being a little bit, um, I don't know. I, I was just worried about putting in all that time and effort. And then like, you know, I just felt guilty about waste quote unquote wasting time on it. It's never a waste. Sure. Obviously. But, um, you know, he said that to me and I just kind of, okay, I went with that. And sure enough, he was, he was right. Um, and so I think that being, you know, a lot of times I have to trick myself into doing something. So if I can make it make sense from a, you know, um, from that perspective, sometimes it helps me. I think that's so valuable for people to hear because, you know, somebody who has accomplished what you've accomplished that you still need to do that trickery. Um, because Mm -hmm. you know, that's the kind of stuff I have to do. And I, and I think, I think there may be some idea, well, once I figure this out and once I'm a pro, I don't have to do that anymore. And so I think it, I love hearing that you still do that. Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, no, it's, it's big. It's another thing is giving myself time to screw around. And when I say screw around, that's staring at the wall, you know, or looking through an art book or doodling or, or just walking outside and staring at a tree or whatever it is. Just, you know, I I feel guilty a lot of times because I've got a family at home that I want to be spending time with. And, um, but you know, for, for my, for my art, I need to have that space and that time to explore and, and, um, play around. And, you know, a lot of ideas come from those moments when I'm not actually sitting down and trying to work, but when I'm just letting my mind wander a little bit. So, um, you know, allowing yourself that time is, is really valuable, you know, when it comes to an artistic journey, I think that's a really important thing. Um, it can be hard, but again, I do have to trick myself and I have to say, look, this is part of your job. Mm-hmm. You know, as silly as it seems, it's part of your job to go walk around on a hike or look through books, even, even if it's looking through a magazine or just what, whatever it is, you know, there's, it's just a part of it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an ongoing thing for me, man. I, I feel like I'm still, I feel like I'm behind and I'm still figuring things out and, um, you know, we're all, we're all going through the same thing, trying to, trying to get somewhere and who knows how we're going to get there. Just got to figure it out. You know, (laughs) I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, so next to last question, if you could make a request or offer words of wisdom or offer advice to the people who are listening to this and it's people who love the West in one way or the other, obviously, you know, we've got people that love Western art. We've got people that love the West from a conservation standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, are there any words of wisdom you, you would offer to those folks? Um, I don't know. That's tough for me. I mean, I don't think I'm going to be great in this, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I have a great answer for that, but I mean, I, I've, I'll tell you this. I've been in really, really remote areas of the West. Mm-hmm. And when I'm walking around and I look down and I see a plastic bag <laughs> or some stupid piece of trash, um, out there, it just drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't think your listeners need to hear this, but obviously, you know, pick up after yourselves and just be careful about that trash wandering. Um, cause that just, that, that, can, that can ruin an experience when you're out there and you feel like a lot of times I feel like I've been somewhere where no one else has been, which I know is not true because it's pretty much all been explored now, but that's one cool thing about the West. Um, but yeah, to see that out there and obviously on when, when you're on, uh, out on native lands, um, just be super respectful of, of everything out there. You know, a lot of times I'll be out and I'll see some, uh, pottery shards from, you know, prehistoric pottery that's out there. And, you know, it's kind of cool to sometimes pick it up and look at it, but just put it right back down where you found it. If you do, (laughs) if you do want to look at it, because I've, I've been out with people that'll just pick, go out there and stick it in their pocket. And that's just not cool, you know? So 
I think that's great advice. I mean, that's that's it's basic, but but very very good advice that people should heed. And I think you talk about the plastic, obviously in the West, but as a surfer, I mean, you've seen your fair share of that too. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, one more thing I will say that I'm just it's coming to me right now. Sure. Um, if you're not an artist uh, and you are going out into nature, bring a sketchbook with you. Grab some watercolors or an oil paint sketch box or something. And uh, give yourself the freedom to play around a little bit and and uh, and try to make a little painting or a little drawing on location. You know, don't worry about if it comes out great or not. Um, there's something really cool that I get to do is I get to stand in one spot when I'm painting outdoors, and I might stare at a a, a view for you know 45 minutes or an hour while I'm making a painting. And there's something really cool about being in one spot for an hour and just looking at this spot and experiencing that one location. Um, in that way where you're studying it and you're trying to get it down on paper or, on, or on, onto a canvas. Um, so I, I really recommend that for people. I think everybody should participate in art. You know, it's just, it's just a great thing to do, um, you know, just, just for your own mental health and, and, uh, and a way to connect with nature in a way that you might not otherwise. That's perfect advice. And I need to take you up on that as well because I've got this watercolor set that I've I need to use. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that because of you. So that's, that's awesome. So how, how can people follow your work online? Where's the best places to, to look you up on the old internets? Yeah. I mean, just search my name. Uh, I should, you know what I should do on this podcast is I should pronounce my name because nobody knows how to say my last name. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Uh, So my name is Logan Maxwell Ajej and last name, it's spelled H A G E G E. So that's Ajej. Um, Anyhow, so you can Google me. I don't know. I've got a website that I don't update as often as I should. And uh, my Instagram is Logan Maxwell Ajej. Um, that, that's updated fairly often. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's the best way to find me. Well, man, this was really great. And I've, like I said, I've been following your work forever. I'm a huge fan of it. And I, I just appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got a lot going on. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Likewise, I'm a fan of your show. And uh, it's, it's been fun. I feel like I'm. It's a little odd actually hearing your voice on the other side of the line line here. I feel like I'm in a a weird dream where I'm talking to Ed, but here I am. (laughs) Hey, it's Ed again. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, and thanks for listening to that particular episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Before you go, I've got three quick things. Number one, if you like the podcast, please do me a huge favor. Either pass it along to a friend who may be interested, share it on your social media, and or go to iTunes and give it a five-star review. All those things would mean a lot to me, and they would really help to spread the word about the podcast. Number two, if you've listened to many of these episodes, you know that I love reading and I love talking about books. Every other month, I send out a quick email with a few books that I've recently read and highly recommend. The subjects are varied, but they're pretty much all nonfiction with an emphasis on history, biographies, adventure narratives, and topics related to the American West. There are no sales pitches for ranches, no spam, no other kind of nonsense, just books. So if you'd like to sign up for the list, head to Mountain and Prairie slash reading, or just go to Mountain and Prairie and there's a massive tab at the top that says book recommendations. Click on it. There are a ton of good books that I've read. Some of the old email lists are on there. Uh, You can go crazy. There are a lot of books. And finally, if you know anyone I should interview for the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. All my contact info is at mountainimperial.com and I'm on all the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to have some recommendations and suggestions of interesting people I should meet. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.